0: And on this week's show, we focus on the scouting of African players. We speak to Arsenal's former head of global scouting, Francis Kahigau. He explains how sophisticated the scouting system is at big European clubs and how Africa needs to invest more in scouting structures.
1: The important thing, obviously, is to set structures in place. In order to set structures in place, there needs to be investment.
0: That's coming shortly, plus Stuart on the English Premier League, and he tells us about the Brazilian legend Pele, who turned 80 recently. Well, first, the CAF Champions League final has been postponed, as the second leg of the semi-final between Zamalek of Egypt and Raja Casablanca of Morocco has been postponed. It had been rescheduled to this Sunday after an outbreak of COVID-19 at Raja. Eight Raja players attested positive for coronavirus at first, then the figure rose to 14. Well, concerning that, and hopefully things will work out for November's Africa Cup of Nations qualifiers and for the preliminary stage of the next edition of the Champions League. And now to our main topic this week, the scouting of African players. How exactly do top European clubs scout for talent? How do they choose which players to sign? And how is the scouting within Africa? Well, scouting is a large operation at top European clubs, and Ida has been speaking to Arsenal's former head of global scouting, Francis Cahigal. Now, with former manager Arsène Wenger having signed many African players over the years, was it always a deliberate strategy of the club? And here, Cahigal refers to Belgian club Beveren.
1: Arsène had, you know, initially had, had obviously a very strong link. Via Jean-Marc Guillou and, and, and a tie-up that we had at Beveren, you know, which saw players like, uh, you know, the, the Torre brothers originally, Emmanuel Eboué, uh, joining us. Um, so, you know, Arsene always had an eye on, on African football. And, um, you know, we, we would always study African football because we think, and to this day I think that there are some great talents, exceptional talents in Africa. You know, um, and we just have to uh, probably make better use of our resources and overcome the obstacles sometimes that governments put in our way. Uh, you know, which sometimes we, we have our... our um, we're, we're not free sometimes to, to do everything that we want to do in the game. But uh, I think, you know, we've seen some great African players, not just at Arsenal, you know, in the Premiership and other leagues, and it's uh, an area which will always have top-level talent.
2: Absolutely. And you were head of Global Scouting when Arsenal signed Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. What were your thoughts on that signing from BVB?
1: Yeah, I mean, Aubameyang was a, a player we've looked at for many, many years. You know, I recall when he was at Saint-Étienne, uh, there was a moment when we were strongly uh, uh, considering uh, the player. Um, for one reason or for another, you know, that that didn't happen. He went on to have a, a, a great few years at Dortmund. And yes, the decision was made whilst Arsene was uh, at the club um, to sign the player who joined the club and then obviously was part of that transition. You know, uh, a natural goal scorer, you know, and a natural athlete. You know, I think we've seen that, you know, Oba is a very, very, very important player for Arsenal.
2: And of course, Francis, we're talking top tier here. So the talent across the board is definitely A1. But tell us, are there any African players, you know, who you signed and just found particularly outstanding after?
1: Well, you know, the, the club now has Nicolas Pepe and, uh, and the club have just signed uh, Thomas Party. You know, since I left, it's obviously a player that we had, uh, uh, you know, looked at for many years. Uh, you know, we would made some strong recommendations and were close to, to, to the player in the past. I think Thomas will bring a lot to Arsenal's team because he offers something different in the position he plays, possibly something that the team didn't have uh, at the present time. Um, so I think he'll be a very, very strong compliment. To the team, and Nicolas Pepe is, is uh, you know, he, he is such a talented player, you know. And uh, I think with Nicolas Pepe, the important part is for him to gain more consistency in his game. I think once he does that, you know, he can. He really is. He does have the talent to be a special player
2: right and of course the scouting levels are miles apart has to be said between africa and you know say europe so what do you think needs to be done at least on this side for the structures to get better and uh hopefully for the scouting to be able to unearth much more talent
1: whether whether it's africa we're talking about as a continent or whether it's another continent the important thing obviously is to set structures in place in order to set structures in place There needs to be investment. You know, you can't put structures in place without investment, unfortunately. So I think um, there needs to be an investment across the board. I can't be totally objective because in order to to, to be objective, I would need to be in Africa and and have a look at the scouting structures. Uh, So I'm not totally aware of what they are at this present moment. Yes, I have a lot of information and I have a lot of African contacts and a lot of colleagues um, over the years, a lot of friends in Africa. Um, and I think the the structures need to be put in place first, you know. Before you can say, we identify this player, we identify that player, first you need a structure in order to do that. I think it's, you know, it's the basis of everything, to have a good structure and a good platform. And unfortunately, you, this can only be done with investment
2: absolutely agreed on that point and some have accused the arsenal transfer policy of being just a bit too frugal francis is there any truth to that and if so did it in any way affect your levels of scouting
1: well i would say to you that you know if we're talking about frugality you know arsenal went through a transitional phase where they went from Highbury to the emirates stadium you know and to explain this, you know, basically we're talking about a very expensive and costly project. Um, did that expensive, costly project um, afford Arsenal Wenger at the time a smaller budget in terms of uh, transfer policy? Yes, of course. And that's one of the reasons that at the club we had to be creative. We had to be creative and look for those young development players. Um it's obvious that this, that, you know, the transition to the Emirates was a very, very, very costly one and impacted uh, the club's financial resources. So, so, yes, I would say, you know, it was inevitable. It was inevitable. We've seen similar situations at other clubs when they lose stadium. So it's nothing new to football. You know, um, yes, of course, that had an impact on the club's finances and on the club's transfer strategy.
2: Fair enough. And, you know, Francis, looking at the English Premier League, it is a dream for majority of the players all over the world. But as a scout, tell us, what exactly makes a player top EPL material?
1: It's a combination of things. You know, what what I would say is that I've always thought myself personally that talent is never enough. You don't just get by on talent. You know, if you look around, if we look around us every day, We see talent all around us. There are a lot of talented people, you know, uh, and I've seen many, many, many talented uh, players. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a top elite sportsman, you know, that it needs to be that combination always of talent, of ambition, of drive, you know, and you have to, of course, have a minimum level of physical qualities because the game now is so quick, you know, it's so fast, it's so intense, so it it's really a combination of a lot of different qualities and I will say that where we still that the areas which probably tend to define a top elite sportsman and football is no different um, would be the mentality. You know, the mentality, the mindset.
0: Well, that's Arsenal's former head of global scouting, Francis Cahigao, and there's so many talking points there. That final point is so important for talented youngsters that you need more than just talent to make it. You need to work hard, have the right attitude and the right mental attitude. The mindset is so important. But to Ida, as well as that, interesting how sophisticated the scouting system is with the top European clubs, that they can study certain players for years.
2: Absolutely, Steve. I mean, Kahigao discovered some of Arsenal's most notable players and he talked about following their progress like Robin van Persie, for example, for years before eventually signing them. Uh, you've heard with Thomas Partey even that he just got signed, but Kahigao had his eye on him for years. And scouting is a delicate and often time consuming process. And especially in years past, you know, where the scouts spent a lot of time Physically at the stadiums, sometimes watching these players develop from teenage to adulthood. And it was a similar situation, even with the likes of Cesc Fabregas, who Cahigao actually discovered while Fabregas was still at Barcelona's La Masia Academy. And the plan, Steve, was to sign Fabregas, then go back for Lionel Messi and Jared Piquet. And the Piquet one in particular was actually very close to happening, as per the former Arsenal Global Scout. So you can imagine, Steve, in a parallel universe, we'd be talking about Lionel Messi and Jared Piquet at Highbury with Fabregas and, (laughs) you know, not at the new camp. But as with everything in life, look, things change. And especially with technology being such a huge part of our lives. And there are increasingly club technical directors out there who are going for data systems over scouting. An issue with that, Steve, is that while that definitely may be efficient, data is often available only for registered or established players. And, you know, in that way, you miss out on the heart and soul, if you will, Of the game, you will definitely miss out on fantastic players at academy levels, perhaps, who might not have the best numbers per se. Because if that's the way to go, then, you know, that some would argue that maybe Arsenal would never have signed Fabregas at 16 or Van Persie, who wasn't getting the most game time as a teenager and, you know, had a few issues adjusting, but grew to be a world class player under the likes of uh, Kahigao. So all in all, it's much more competitive now and talent alone, I agree, as uh, the Spaniard puts it, definitely won't cut it. Kahigao there, a former Arsenal youth player, but became a much more permanent fixture after working under Arsene Wenger for 21 years. The Global Scouting Wing, Steve, was actually started under Wenger, who Kahigao says was much more involved in all facets of the club, much more than your modern manager today.
0: Well, fascinating insight uh, that was. Uh, Thanks a lot, Ida. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, Stuart on the English Premier League, as home advantage seems less of an advantage in these empty stadiums. You can follow us on Twitter, we're at Planet Sport FA, and you can download our app and listen to the show any time and access past programmes in our archive. To download the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Well, to social media now, and last week we asked, should Jordan Pickford have been punished for injuring Virgil van Dyke? Liverpool's van Dyke is out for the rest of the season with a knee injury, and Everton keeper Pickford, whose tackle caused the injury in the Merseyside derby, escaped without punishment. The English FA could have given Pickford a retrospective red card, but ruled that the referee saw what happened at the time, having consulted with the match officials and the VAR. Well, the Reds' manager, Jürgen Klopp, said, it's not that I want to have a player punished, but if you do something wrong, you have to deal with the consequences. So last week we asked, do you think that Pickford should have been punished? And looking at life in general, should we always be punished when we do something wrong ourselves? With your comments, here's Planet Sport Football Africa's Ephraim Tagu. Thanks, Steve. And on WhatsApp, we start with Emmanuel Harry
3: in Malawi, who says there's no need to punish Jordan Pickford. It's part of the game, and it wasn't his intention to cause the injury. And that's a view shared with uh, many of our correspondents this week. Uh, Jemo is a Cameroonian living in the United States. Violence shouldn't be part of the game, but I think in Pickford's case it was uh, aggressiveness and not violence. The FA deciding not to punish Pickford was the right decision. I don't like the game being refereed after it has ended, especially when it is about footballing decisions, uh, says Jemo. And it's good to hear from uh, Baraka Drame in the Gambia. It's typical of football in general, says Baraka. Uh, Sometimes things can occur accidentally rather than intentionally, so Pickford should just be warned and advised to be more careful next time. Obina in Nigeria agrees, although it was a silly tackle, I don't think it was a premeditated act to get Virgil van Dyke injured. Virgil was unlucky to be at the receiving end, uh, but we must not always be punished for doing something wrong, especially when it was a mistake, says Obina. We always welcome your voice notes here on Planet Sport Football Africa, and here's Michael Mboka in the Gambia. You know, we mustn't be punished at all costs, you know, because... Sometimes, you know, our actions are done unintentionally and sometimes they are done intentionally. So based on these two contradicting statements, you know, I will say someone is punished based on the heaviness of the act that the person must have committed. But to be frank with you, we mustn't always be punished whenever we go wrong. That's how I will say it. I saw Michael there going along with many others this week who say that punishment depends on whether the actions are intentional or unintentional. But not everyone agrees with that view. Amadou Jalo in The Gambia says that is a red card offence. Even if he escaped the referee and the VAR on the pitch, the FA should have taken action afterwards. And Amadou Baji, also in the Gambia, agrees. Uh, to be candid, Pickford should have been given a straight red card uh, because it was a very dangerous foul on Virgil van Dyck. Uh, the English FA robbed Liverpool by not punishing Pickford. Dan Ogega in Kenya is in no doubt about what should have been done. Of course, he should have been handed a retrospective suspension for his actions, says Dan. How he escaped that is beyond me. The referee and VAR officials got it wrong there. Players should be punished for bad tackles and all sorts of unsportsmanlike behavior. And Moono John in Zambia agrees that Pickford should have been punished. Pickford is not the first player to commit such an offence, says John. Yes, maybe VAR should have looked at it more closely and given him a retrospective punishment. And Brima Kante in the Gambia agrees that a retrospective action should have been taken. To leave things as they are, I do not support that. And I agree with Jaijan Klopp you know, in saying that Pickford should at least be punished. But if you look at the incident properly... I don't think Pickford intended to injure Van Dyke. I think this is how football is I wish Van Dyke, you know, speedy recovery and I wish the Liverpool team all the best in his absence, though I am a Chelsea fan. Now on that subject uh, of whether punishment was necessary, Tebi Otieno in Kenya believes our attitude to our actions makes a difference. A punishment may not always be the outcome of our actions, says Tebby. if we are remorseful and sorry, it helps. Even the thief crucified beside Jesus was remorseful and was forgiven that night. And after the incident last week, Everton boss Carlo Ancelotti said that Pickford was really sad about Van Dyke's injury and that everyone at the club was sorry. Moses in Malawi, we thank God for his grace and mercy, says Moses, because we've all been found wanting every moment of our lives, uh, but we are given a chance to restore our minds to God's pattern. Uh, this is never easy. However, with Pickford, I feel that as he escaped punishment during the match, we should leave matters to rest and move on. And uh, Sana Jone in the Gambia agrees. I think it was an error from the officials and those in charge of the VAR, says Sana. They should have punished Pickford during the game, uh, but as he escaped punishment during the match, I don't think any action should be taken against him now. Henry Kiakua in Uganda has a view on whether we should always be punished when we do something wrong. Punishment is important in life because some people do wrong things, says Henry. They may believe they are doing something right because sometimes even their leaders are supporting the wrong things. But we should strive for authenticity. And finally, Suleiman in Cameroon offers a a very interesting suggestion for players found guilty of injuring an opponent. For me, Pickford should be given a seven to eight month suspension until Van Dijk comes back, says Suleiman. The rule should be that any player who intentionally causes an injury to another player should be suspended until the injured player is back playing again, even if it is one year. A red card is not enough for me, says Suleiman. Well, we should emphasize that Pickford and Everton have apologized to Van Dyke and Liverpool, and there is no suggestion that Pickford's actions were intentional. Uh, But uh, that's an interesting idea from Suleiman. Steve and I wonder
0: what other listeners think about it. Well, a very creative idea, that uh, from Suleiman. Thanks, Ephraim. That's Ephraim Tagu. Thanks to all who got in touch. Well, Tebi Otieno mentioned forgiveness there, and the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that there is forgiveness through Jesus for those who follow him. There's more on this on our website, that's planetsport.tv. We have a blog called Justice, Fairness, and the Free Gift of Forgiveness. Uh, To read that blog, go to our website, planetsport.tv, and click on the blog section. Again, the website, planetsport.tv. And now to our European football expert Stuart Weir in the UK. It's Manchester United against Arsenal on Sunday in the big game of the weekend, while surprise leaders Everton play away to Newcastle. And indeed, in this crazy season, Stuart, Arsenal are 11th and Manchester
4: United 15th. Well, as you say, Steve, the league table does have a strange look to it. Who would have expected Everton to be top? Aston Villa who just avoided relegation last season to be third and newly promoted Leeds United to be sixth, closely followed by Southampton and Crystal Palace. Then the so-called big clubs, Chelsea and Arsenal, are 10th and 11th and the two Manchester clubs, 13th and 15th. There are a lot of surprises there. But you have to say that the league table reflects the way that the teams are playing. And so far, Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester United and Manchester City have disappointed, whereas Everton, Villa and Leeds have played great football. One thing which may be a factor is the growing evidence that home advantage without fans offers much less advantage than normal. In the 2018-19 season, which of course was the last normal season, so to speak, 47% of the games in the Premier League resulted in a home win. But so far this season, it's just 33%. And of this season's games, 45%, that's almost half, have resulted in an away win, compared to a third two years ago. So it looks as if clubs are going into games not thinking of them as difficult away fixtures, but as games that they can win. Now, a week or two ago, we mentioned the new Chelsea Senegalese goalkeeper, Edouard and I wondered if he would struggle stepping up in class. Well, he was absolutely magnificent when Manchester United drew with Chelsea, making two outstanding saves from Marcus Rashford and generally looking assured and confident. And that was his second Premier League appearance for Chelsea and his second clean sheet. Now, Steve, Bamford scored a hat-trick for Leeds United against Aston Villa, and his first name is Patrick, and that rhymes with hat-trick. The Premier League's average goals per game this season is 3.3, and that is higher than the average for any full season since 1964. But on the other hand, the Championship is averaging just two goals per game. I wonder why. Manchester City have scored one goal in each of their last three league games. And that's the first time in four years that they've not exceeded one goal in any of three consecutive league games. And another strange fact is that with Raheem Sterling and Foden scoring the goals, it's the first time for 10 years that City have gone three consecutive league games without registering a goal by a foreign player. Now, an important announcement this week from the Football Association, the Inclusion Advisory Board has produced a football leadership diversity code which asks clubs to aim at a target of 25% of new coaching appointments and 10% of managerial and senior coaching appointments coming from the black, Asian or mixed heritage backgrounds. And there's also an aspiration that 15% of new staff in senior leadership and operations within clubs should be from a -A BAME background as well. We'll see whether that actually happens in practice. You mentioned El Clasico, Steve. What a strange week it's been for Real Madrid. Last week in the Champions League, they went 3-0 down to Shakhtar Donetsk from Ukraine, ultimately losing 3-2. A week later, in the Champions League, away to German club Borussia Mönchengladbach, they were 2-0 down with three minutes left, but managed to salvage a draw. But in between, in the big game against rivals Barcelona, they won 3-1. And incidentally, one of Real Madrid's goals was a penalty scored by Sergio Ramos, his 23rd successful penalty in succession. During Manchester United's game with Chelsea... The United captain Harry Maguire seemed to have Chelsea's Aspiliceta in a headlock, pulling him to the ground. The referee missed the incident and VAR recommended no action. And this has become a major talking point, with people wondering why VAR can see an accidental handball or an armpit offside a mile away, but never seems to intervene when there's pushing or holding. Well, yes, and it's like uh, every
0: week is giving us uh, a new VAR controversy to talk about. And to Stuart, the Brazilian legend Pele turned 80 recently. Uh, Tell us a bit about Pele and why many of the older generations say that he's the greatest footballer of all
4: time. Edison Arantes do Nascimento, but always called Pele. Although, incidentally, no one quite knows how he got that nickname in the first place. As you say, he's universally recognized as the greatest footballer ever and, in fact, the International Federation of Football History voted him the player of the century. In a way that is incredible to the modern supporter, he played his entire career, 1956 to 74, for Santos in Brazil, playing 496 games and scoring 504 goals. That's more than a goal a game. After that, he spent two years playing for the New York Cosmos in the new North American Soccer League as football or soccer was launched in America. It has been recorded that he scored 1,279 goals in his career, but more than half of those were in rather meaningless friendlies and exhibition games. Brazil won the World Cup three times during his career. In 1958, as a 17-year-old, he scored twice in the final as Brazil beat Sweden, 5-2. In 1962, he was there but got injured early in the competition and didn't play in the final. Brazil's third World Cup win was in 1970, in the team sometimes regarded as the best football team ever. And, of course, he scored in that final and was chosen as the player of the tournament. Pelle's greatness rests on his all-round ability as a playmaker and goalscorer, as well as in the key role in that Brazilian team which won three World Cups in 12 years. Unusually for a player regarded as the best in the world, he played all his club football in his home country, never playing for any of the top European clubs. And as most of his career was in an era when television was in its infancy and the internet didn't exist, the only games that people outside Brazil would have seen on television were probably the World Cup. But the good news is that you can find his career highlights on YouTube. Pelé is also remembered for his prediction that an African country would win the World Cup by 2000. Well, he got that one wrong.
0: Well, yes, unfortunately, he did. Well, thanks, Stuart. Uh, So these days, many debate whether it's Messi or Ronaldo who's the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Others go back to Argentina legend Diego Maradona in the 80s. But, uh, wow, Pele's record at the World Cup is one that no one can match. Now, before we go, this week on social media asking who do you think is going to win the UEFA Champions League? After two match days, there have been a few surprises and we're starting to get a picture of who the main contenders might be. So, Who do you think will be the champions of Europe this time and why? Will Bayern Munich do it again? Are Real Madrid and Barcelona strong enough to challenge? And what about the English Premier League clubs? You can post a comment on our Facebook page, that's Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Who do you think will win the Champions League and why? Well, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers and Ephraim Tagu in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi and Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.